Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Well, if you want to start a political argument today, bring up the topic of free speech. Free speech. Everybody wants it unless somebody else uses it. And then we're not nearly as big a fan of it. Of course, freedom of speech doesn't mean that you have the freedom to do whatever you want to do or say whatever you want to say. It doesn't mean that you can uh, use your words for libel or slander. If you did, you may find yourself in the midst of a, of a lawsuit if you were to use your words in that capacity to uh, defame someone else's character. You know, over the course of our history, the, the courts have helped to define for us what exactly freedom of speech means. It includes the right not to speak. Wouldn't, isn't that a great freedom you wish more people would use? You know, no one forced you to say anything. Courts have decided that symbolic speech is acceptable, even when we might find that speech offensive. I think as, uh, as uh, men and women who, who, are, uh, who are patriotic in our, in our uh, relationship to the state, I think it, it uh, irritates us when someone were to, was to burn a flag uh, as a political protest. However, that act is, is protected under, under court rulings. Uh, of course, the freedom of speech does not include the right to incite actions that would harm others. You couldn't go into a crowded movie theater and yell, fire. That's something that would be, uh, would be uh, uh, not allowed. You're not allowed to make threats. Uh, you you want to test that one, just call up Walmart and tell them that you've, uh, you've planted a little package in the store and see how quickly the, uh, someone comes to find you. Um, apparently... Freedom of speech does not include the right for me to use this position to make certain uh, statements that, uh, that may be deemed to be uh, um, inappropriate in this capacity in a political standpoint. However, in order for freedom of speech to truly work, I have to be willing to allow my opponent the freedom to make his argument if I'm going to be given the freedom to make mine even when that person's argument is irritating or obnoxious. But this is where it really breaks today, isn't it? We're seeing more and more that speech that originates from, from here is being seen as uh, intolerant or, or as hateful. And it's no longer, uh, it's something that the society wishes that we would move away from. Uh, we will probably see a day where God's very words are seen as offensive and there will likely be attempts to censor what God has to say if there have not already been those efforts. We are living in interesting times. You know, we need to recognize as the people of God just how important our words are. We need to understand how, how critical the, the, the words we use are. Just like freedom of speech gives us the right to speak and the right not to speak, we as Christians need to understand how God sees our speech. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 11 says this, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. You know, sometimes the wisest thing we can do is just quietly hold it back. It was, don't you wish we were like that more and more today? Just quietly hold it back. Like the gambler, we need to know with our words when to hold them, when to fold them, when to walk away, and when to run. We don't have to let them be seen and heard by everyone. It is true that the gospel has called us to freedom, but we gladly submit that freedom. 
And the United States of America says that we have the freedom to speak. But as Christians, we acknowledge that we are under a new authority. We're under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we might have the right as Americans to say just about anything we want. As Christians, we surrender that right and we bring it under the authority of a greater word. Our words, of course, aren't just limited to what we speak. God is very much concerned with how we speak with our fingers as well. Man, we've been given tools today to express ourselves in ways more so than any time ever before. We can let people know what we think, how we think, how we got to how we think. We can, we can, we can express ourselves in remarkable ways. And as you can imagine, we've pretty much made a mess of it. Uh, last week or week before last, somebody stole a catalytic converter off one of our vehicles. And uh, this time we actually got some video of the guy that, that did it. Um, and so we took the uh, sheriff's department's advice and we got that picture and we put it on Facebook because, you know, that's how everything is fixed via Facebook. And, uh, you know, hopefully the public would allow us to, would help us to, to track down the culprit so we could evangelize them and baptize them and all those sort of things. Uh, when we put it out there, the next two days, the staff will attest to this, were spent rushing to every single not notification that came through on our phones to see if we needed to delete comments that were being left on those posts. It was a nightmare of epic proportions. We had some doozies that were left. We had some really intelligent things that were said on Facebook. Um, but the remarkable thing is, is that not a single person had anything helpful to say. Not a, I mean, a lot of demands for justice that, you know, people hope they burn in hell for stealing the catalytic converters, which I thought was a little harsh. I'd much rather them go to heaven. Uh, and, of course, everyone telling us that they're just drug addicts who are trying to get their drugs. Again, not at all helpful. Maybe true, not at all helpful. Just people expressing ignorance that had to be deleted. You know, I have a very wise friend who has a very wise social media policy. He says this, first, you don't have to comment on everything. Secondly, you should wait 24 to 48 hours before commenting on anything, particularly if it's a current event. Thirdly, remember you'll never change anyone's mind, ever. It won't happen. And finally, I think this is the most important thing. Do your activities, your words online, draw people to Christ or push them away? Respond accordingly. You know, our words matter. Um, and we need to understand how dangerous our words can be. In Christ's kingdom, the Lord has given us better things to talk about. He's given us the good news. And if we truly understood how, how powerful the gospel actually is, then it would be impossible for us to not talk about it. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be bouncing around topically as we hit some of the major themes that are left in the book of Proverbs. And so it's going to be hard to have a let's stand and read this passage together sort of thing. We won't be doing that as we work through the rest of the book. But we will be looking at individual Proverbs over the course of the next few weeks that, that sort of reinforce the theme of the day. So with that being said, let's jump in today and consider the wisdom of our words. And we understand, of course, that our words matter. 
I use a software to help write sermons, to take notes and to study and things like that. And one of the things I like about this particular piece of software that I use is as I put an outline together, at the bottom of the page, there's a running tally of, of the number of words that are included in that particular outline. And then uh, there's, a, there's a parentheses that actually has a, has a time estimate of how long it will actually take to preach those words. And so generally speaking, the counter is pretty accurate. The only time that it's not accurate is if I decide to go chase a rabbit or some other anecdote comes to mind while I'm speaking. The counter understands that words have significance even if it only understands them in terms of chronology. Speaking words takes time and so therefore it weighs the, it weighs the amount of time that it takes to speak those words. Some of you wish I would pay closer attention to the little counter that is at the bottom of my screen. Proverbs ascribes weight to those words different from how the counter does. Proverbs ascribes weight to our words beyond the time that it takes to speak them. Our words, how we use them or don't use them, have weight from a moral perspective. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 15 says this, There is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. You see, Proverbs isn't only concerned with warning us how not to use our words. There's plenty of positive affirmations as well. For example, we see here that wise, carefully crafted words are of great value. If you were to run upon a treasure chest in your backyard full of gold and precious stones, hopefully you'd call your pastor to help you come and excavate it. But you wouldn't set the treasure chest on the curb for the trash to pick up, right? You would never think to do that. You would treat such a find with the reverence that it deserves. You would evaluate it, count them, see how much is there. You would treat it with, with great value because you understand how precious it is. And so words are, according to Proverbs here, treated like this. They are precious in God's sight. These wise words, these words of knowledge are precious to God, but understand that because they're precious, they're also, they're also rare, Consider that when you listen to people, when they opine about the plethora of controversial topics available to us today and the countless media options available for us to hear those opinions, I think we would agree that not every opinion that is expressed about every controversial subject under the sun, not every opinion would fall under the category of being a precious jewel, right? So if God prizes wise words as precious jewels, well, what does God think about words that, well, that aren't so wise? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22 says this, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Lying lips are an abomination. That's a, that's a strong word, an abomination. I, I mean, there are certain things I don't like. I don't like sour cream. But I wouldn't say that it's an abomination to me. I mean, that's a, that's a strong word reserved, for, reserved for, for particular things. Other translation options available to us here would be detestable or loathsome. Again, those are strong words reserved for, for, for a, very, um, a very particular set of things. And, and here God says lying lips are an abomination to him. God is no fan of lies. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. But wait, everybody lies today, right? I mean, everybody lies. How do you know if a politician's lying? Lips are moving, right? 
It's not even a joke anymore. It's like, that's true. Advertisements lie to us. The media lies to us. We've sadly seen too many cases where even our pastors and spiritual leaders have lied to us. There's so much lying going on today that it's getting harder and harder for us to even be able to discern the truth. That's part of why uh, we're 14 months into two weeks to flatten the curve. Because we don't know what's true anymore. We don't know which voices are, are true and which ones aren't. Well, it's easy when you see lying like that, why it's so troublesome, because it, it makes it difficult for us as a people to even function. But let's not think that lying doesn't even have an effect right down here in the relationships that we have with our families and with our churches. Yeah, it affects us as a society, but it also affects us right here in, in the way that we relate to one another. Lying tears us apart, but if you think about it, honesty is that which binds us together. Lying conceals us from one another. And if you consider the fact that God is always honest, isn't that something? I mean, that's a, that's a hard thought for us to even consider that because every one of us have been caught at some point in time in, 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 a, in a little white lie or a great big lie. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably the most common sin that we all share. God is always honest with us. And so it would seem that if we want to make our character look like the character of God, that we would be much wiser to the danger of dishonest words. We certainly understand that lying is troublesome, but the wisdom of Proverbs actually takes it a step further. It actually goes to this level of saying that entertaining the liar is just as bad. Entertaining the liar is just as bad. Listen to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Well, this just got serious. The, the Bible says that listening to a liar makes one a liar. Hold on. Don't, don't get upset yet. It's not talking about when you're the victim of deceit. You know, if somebody scams you or, or, or something along those lines where you've been lied to and you've been taken advantage of. That's not what this is talking about here. What this, the implication is here is that you have a sense that you are hearing something that isn't altogether true, but you give ear to it anyway. You know there's a difference there. Someone who is trying to willfully deceive us versus somebody who knows that, that they can bend our ear just a little bit and, and we'll, we'll listen to what they have to say. You say, but pastor, it'd be rude not to hear that person out, right? We don't want to be rude. Somebody wants to come and share something with us, it'd be rude to not give them a chance to, to speak. You might think it rude, but God says that entertaining the lies is the same as lying. And if that's bothersome to you, don't be mad at me. Tell the Lord because he wrote it. And guess what? He's always honest. You know, sometimes churches can have folks who become the complaints department. People that... People know that you're the person that they can go to and vent all of their criticism, and you become the repository of all things negative. No effort is, is really undertaken to discern the truth or solve the problems that may actually exist. Instead, all that garbage just collects and festers and rots. So if you find yourself as the community trash collector, you need to learn a new skill. You need to learn to interpret those lying critical lips and say this. This is a remarkable thing to be able to say. Stop! I don't want to be in the middle of this. And then you can take it one step further and say, but I'm happy to go with you and talk face to face with the person that you're talking about behind their back. If you did that, 
It would revolutionize how church works. If someone wants to come to you and say, you won't believe what so-and-so did, if you just stop and say, well, let's go talk to so-and-so about it right now, they will never talk to you about so-and-so again. Never. Or they'll say, you know, thank you for going with me so that we can get some resolution to this. Either way, that's a great win. That's a great outcome. I'd rather have, listen to me, I'd rather have people talk to me than about me, wouldn't you? I'd rather have people talk to me than about me. And I think I can say this in love. This is an area where churches can grow today. Because there's a lot of the talking about that goes on and not nearly as much talking to. And it would do us a lot of good if we could learn to talk to each other instead of talking about each other. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8 and 9. It takes us a step further. Not only should we, not only should we, would, should we help redirect, but it actually says here in verse 8 of chapter 31, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and needy. So instead of being a listener who receives gossip and criticism and less than honest words, what if we actually spoke up and defended the person that we were hearing things about? What if we actually said, you know what, you shouldn't be talking about that person. You shouldn't be saying that about that person. You shouldn't be spreading that rumor about that person. You shouldn't be spreading that gossip about that person. What if we actually spoke up and used our words to defend one another instead of using our words to, uh, or using our silence to entertain the, the gossip? What if we actually looked at the critic or the gossip or the liar, looked them in the eye and said, you know what? I won't have any part of this. The good news is there are trigger words that should alert us that we're about to get hit with the temptation to become complicit in wicked speech. So there's trigger words. There are things that people can say and, and it should ring a bell in your ear that says, oh, I'm about to hear something I need to, I need to be use very clear discernment on. If someone comes to you and says, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm worried about so-and-so. Watch out. They may be worried about so-and-so, or they may be about to drop some juicy, salacious gossip on you. I'm worried about them. I'm worried about them. Or, or here's, a, here's a good one. Did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear about it? Now, if so-and-so was, had a heart attack and is in the hospital, that's an appropriate thing to say, yeah, I heard that, that they'd had a heart attack. We need to pray for them right now. That's appropriate. But if they saw it on Facebook... And, and it comes to, you know, did you hear about? No, that's probably something that is about to be said. Here's another one. I can't believe what so-and-so did. Then you probably shouldn't share it if you can't believe it. This one's a great one. You know, I saw on Facebook. I saw on Facebook. Now, again, not everything that follows those phrases is a landmine that's about to blow up. But you need to be ready to speak up when you hear those, those trigger words. So we understand, of course, that our words have significance. Our words matter. God cares about our words. But we also need to understand that our words have power. Our words have power. Consider the wind. The wind is not something that you can see. You, you can't go out and, and see the wind. This morning we were, I was out in the front greeting folks, and there was wind blowing, but at no point in time could I, I see the wind. Uh, you, you can't hold the wind. I, I could put my hands out and I could try to, to hold the wind and I, I could not hold it if I tried. 
At the same time, we recognize that the wind has great power in spite of our inability to see it. That power can be used for good if it turns a windmill that generates electricity or if that, if that uh, wind is used to open the parachute of someone who jumps out of an airplane. That's, that's a good use of the wind, right? But that wind can also be used for terrible things. It can be used for destructive purposes if it takes the form of a hurricane or a tornado. Spoken words are, you think about it, really only just wind. And that wind is shaped by the vibration of our vocal cords, the shape of our tongues and our teeth and our lips. But just like the wind, they have power for good. Well, they have power for evil. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. There's a reason that the book of James devotes almost an entire chapter to the power of the tongue. James likened the tongue to a spark that ignites a forest fire or a rudder that changes the direction of a huge ship. You know, it doesn't take much to burn the place to the ground. At the same time, it doesn't take much to give careful guidance to a massive ship. Proverbs reminds us that we can use our words to speak life or we can use our words to bring death. And words don't even have to be intentional to be deadly. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 18 says this, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 verse 36, one of the scariest verses in the Bible, Matthew, Matthew chapter 12 verse 36 says that we will have to give an account for every careless word. That is frightening because I think of how many words I've uttered in carelessness. How many words that I thought didn't matter? How many words I thought that nobody was listening to? How many words I thought that nobody would ever find out about? Just careless words offered without much thought. And the Bible says that I'm going to have to give an account for every single careless word that I've spoken. Proverbs paints a picture of a man who is in battle, swinging his sword at anything and everything in the way. Now, I've watched, I've watched a lot of battle scenes in movies where swords are involved. I've never actually been involved in a battle where swords are involved. But one of the things I've noticed that when people are in battle with swords is, is there's not a lot of precision to the, to, the, to the work. You know, if you're in battle with a broadsword, you're really just looking for flesh and bone to strike. You're not really looking for a surgical strike. You're looking to just maim, harm, injure, kill your opponent. A slash at anything. He says our rash words are like sword, th sword thrusts. You know, when we lose control of our words, they can become like those careless sword strikes. It may not even be aimed towards our enemies. In fact, they may even be aimed at people that we, we love. You ever been in an argument with a loved one? And words were exchanged for which you later had to apologize for? Or words that perhaps you should have apologized for that you didn't? What's interesting is that I've heard some folks try to excuse this behavior. You probably have heard this before. Pastor, you'll have to just forgive me. I got a short fuse. Isn't that an interesting defense? I just got a, a short, I got a bad temper, Pastor. You just have to forgive me. Well, golly, officer, I didn't mean to run over that pedestrian. I'm just a bad driver. 
Uh, Man, I didn't mean to burn the kitchen down. I'm just a bad cook. That's the same thing. I didn't mean to use those words carelessly because, well, I've got a short temper. Well, if you're a bad cook or a bad driver, you better get it under control, right? If you've got a bad temper, that's no excuse. Those rash words, hateful words, harmful words, the Bible says can bring death. Good words, however, wise words, thoughtful words, they bring life. Proverbs says the tongue of the wise brings healing. Here's some wise words. I'm sorry. That word brings a lot of healing when used appropriately and sincerely. Here's another one that we don't hear nearly as much today as we should. It was my fault. It was my fault. Simple, wise words that bring tremendous healing when used appropriately. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 says this, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You know, words that are encouraging from a perceptive friend go a long way. Again, Proverbs isn't only about prohibitions, don't do this, don't do this. Instead, there's actually commands, things that we ought to do. And here's a place where we're given a path that we we should follow. Here's something that we should do. If we understand that our words have the power of life in them, then we need to recognize that we ought to be looking beneath the surface to look for ways to speak life to people. You can likely think of times in your life when somebody brought you a just-in-time word. You were in a place where, where you were at the end of your rope, you didn't know what to do next, and somebody at the right time, at the right place, looked at you and said the words that you needed to hear. They spoke life into your life. In order to do this, though, we have to pay attention to others. We can't just ignore other people. We have to look at other people and, and discern what other people are facing and learn to use our words as encouragement. We have to overcome our infatuation with self and just listen for cues from other people. Wise words don't have to possess all the answers to what ails us. Sometimes the wisest words are the simplest. Like this, you know, God is with you and he loves you no matter what you're up against. Not deeply profound, not philosophically stimulating, but true nonetheless. And for somebody who's struggling to know that God's still there, to know that God still cares, and to know that you care enough to speak that into their life, that goes a long way. And I think I can say this. Sometimes the wisest words are the words that we don't speak. Sometimes the wisest words are the words that we don't speak. When people are grieving, dealing with loss, we want to have an answer, and sometimes the answer is not there. And the best thing we can do is simply provide a shoulder to cry on. At least you could before COVID. I don't know what we do now. True wisdom knows the right time to keep silent in as much as it knows the right time to speak. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11 says this, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The implication here is that once we understand the power of our words, our words can become a source of life for everybody. I don't know if you've been to 
Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg. They've got this new place there across the creek, uh, you know, kind of off the off the main strip, just a block or two. And and uh, they've got this huge fountain. It looks like something that you see in Las Vegas. That I mean, shoots of water shooting everywhere. And and one of the things I've noticed as I've looked at that fountain is that there's chairs around it and benches around it, and people will just sit down and they'll watch the fountain. It's choreographed to music, and that fountain brings brings happiness if you if you just watch it on a on a hot summer day. That fountain, the the mist off of it blows in some directions and you can feel that cool mist coming off of it. The, 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 the word here is the, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. A fountain. It, it's not a trickle. It's a fountain. And fountains are there just like that one in Pigeon Forge. It's there for everybody to enjoy and everybody to be refreshed. Nobody's, nobody's standing there saying, you, you're not allowed to enjoy this fountain. It's there for anybody who wants to come and, and be part and, and to be refreshed. And so the implication for us here is, is be a fountain of wise words. Be a fountain of, of righteousness. Let your words be words of righteousness so that anybody who's near you is blessed by your, by your wisdom, by your righteousness, by, your, by the words that you speak. Be a fountain of wisdom. But understand this. At some point in time, our words have to have feet. You see, our words have limitations. You've probably heard it be said of someone that they're all talk you know what that means. That's somebody who knows the right words to speak, but they tend to lack the ability to make those words come to fruition. Proverbs speaks to that as well. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. You know, you can have the best words, but if those words are not reflected in a life of action, those words don't amount to much. Truthfully, this pattern is increasingly common in the culture of our day, but we shouldn't see it in the church. Our faith is built on words. We offer a public profession of faith, but our faith is demonstrated by our actions. We confess our faith with our words, but we show our faith by what we do. In the New Testament, this is the heart of faith without works. We know that faith without works is dead. You know, we, we enter into the waters of baptism, and every time somebody's baptized, they're supposed to make a public profession of faith. Most of the time, they stand up and they say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And by making that public profession of faith, they're declaring to the church that I'm part of the team, I'm one of you, Christ is my Savior, he has saved me, he's rescued me from my sin, and through the act of baptism, we identify with his death and his burial and his resurrection. But with, in order to enter into that, we have that public profession of faith. Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen to me. Those words ought to mean something. Those words ought to have weight. It's not just a ceremony that we are a part of. Because Jesus doesn't get to be Lord of our words without also being Lord of our hearts and Lord of our actions. And while Proverbs is specifically speaking about physical poverty here, I tend to think that this can lead to spiritual poverty as well when our words about the Lord do not align with our actions and service to the Lord. And here's the thing. We can use our words to make excuses for why our speech and our actions do not align. Proverbs 24 verse 12 addresses that. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? You see, God not only knows what's on our lips, he knows what's in our hearts. Jesus actually said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so it's really hard to disconnect the two. 
And we may fool one another with our words. We can say all sorts of things and we can, we can be the best deceivers. But one thing is for sure, we cannot fool the Lord. We're not pulling any fast ones on him. Look at what verse 12 says again. He will repay man according to his work. He's not only measuring your words, he's measuring your works as well. So what do your actions reflect about your words? Are they in balance or do they reveal a measure of hypocrisy? The good news is, is that even as we may not always get our words exactly like they're supposed to be, God has actually given us a better word because God's words are our hope and our future. You see, in spite of the limitations on our words, the fact of the matter is, is that God's words and God's actions are actually inseparable. We're experts at keeping the two independent of one another. We can say one thing and do another. And many times people aren't any wiser that we've done it. However, God is not able to do that. He is not double-minded. He does not say one thing and do another. And God does not look at us and say anything that isn't true. Everything that he says to us is 100% reliable and true in spite of the fact that we live in a society where we don't know up from down. We don't know who's talking and who's lying. We don't know where the truth is. We don't know what to believe anymore. I'll tell you this, that every time God speaks, he speaks the truth. His words are true. The fact that the gospel means good news. We may take that to even say good words. We understand that the good news is this, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That ought to encourage us and inspire us to use our words to point other people to the word. Because God has given us a better word, a better story, and good news to give us hope, to give us a future, to share with the world around us. Would you pray with me, please? God, we know that this is just a surface-level treatment of a topic that we desperately need to hear today. And so, Lord, my prayer today is that you will, God, help us to measure our words, help us to use them carefully, help us to be mindful of what we say, how we say it, and how those words are reflected in our actions. God, I pray that you might help us to develop a culture in our church where we speak to one another, not about one another, that gossip would have no place, that criticism and untruths would have no room to spread, and that, God, we would grow in one another and learn to trust one another, that we would learn to speak the truth to one another, And that we would speak in kindness and grace and mercy. Lord, we pray that we would understand the importance of your word. It is a good word and it is a perfect word. And it gives us hope, gives us something to look forward to. So God, I pray that you might help us to take the wisdom of your word and that it would season every one of our words. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045.